Hello, and welcome to this eerie extra. We are your Such a Nightmare co-hosts, Catherine Troyer and Anthony Tresca. And eerie extras is essentially where we put everything that we can't fit in anywhere else. Yeah, and today we are going to be exploring 2021's newest horror release, A Quiet Place, Part 2. So today is May 29, 2021. We just watched the film, both of us, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's interesting about these eerie extras, or what I think is going to be interesting, is that although we've disagreed on um, our podcast proper, particularly, like, with the Halloween franchise, for the most Mm -hmm. part, we pick a film, we both want to talk about it, right? Yeah. Um, And these reviews that we're doing this summer, and and hopefully for the next while of, you know, as soon as we watch it, we record, I think are going to reveal a much... Uh, more diversified response for this <laughs> because I saw on Letterboxd that, that you did not like this film nearly as much as I did by like a substantial margin. Yeah, no, um, spoiler alerts for where this review is going, at least on my side. I did not like this movie very much. I have some serious problems with it from a structural standpoint. I have some problems with it as a horror film. And I then just have some like ideological problems where I think John Krasinski and I have very different views on what is happiness and what is what is good ultimately. And I think that I, you can see these ideological things in the film that he, he makes. And so yeah, I, I think I have some I have some pretty significant problems with The Quiet Place Part Two. But I I saw your review on Letterboxd and. You, you you rated this film quite highly. I did. I, I fell with where currently most of the the viewer responses, right? Because it's right now a very highly rated film. Um, so with that said, I want to start with where you and I uh, clearly do seem to have a common a thought about this. And that is that this is not a horror film. Uh, no, except for uh, except for perhaps the first 15 minutes of the film in which that flashback sequence, because during that flashback sequence, there's a pretty clear articulated source of horror. I mean, it's the, this feeling of invasion, something coming in and destroying the status quo. These things clearly represent like a threat to their life and their normal normalcy, which is very clear source of horror. I mean, and I think it was one that is was made even more powerful since we've all experienced COVID and this uh, one day everything is normal, the next day uh, you, it might as well have been aliens forcing us all inside. So I, I think it, that that opening sequence is was pretty strong and pretty yeah. good at establishing a source of horror. And I could see how even in the introduction we're going to have some conflict, particularly with, with your ideologies, because the film sets up Small town America. Um, it gives us America's favorite pastime. Um, and baseball. Us, yeah, <laughs> and it shows us that, that small town America, that baseball, that, you know, um, community, that all of these things are sort of um, the, the best things possible, right? It really has mm-hmm. a very beautiful, um, maybe not quite accurate, certainly idolized version of, of the before times, right? Mm -hmm. Before times are COVID or they're small town America before big town America gets involved um, or the alien invasion, whatever it might be. Um, We see that from the beginning. You know, I don't know if I would say that the first 15 minutes are 
are themselves even a horror film. Um, I think it's an action sequence. I think, like you said, there is the brief articulation of a source of horror, but mm -hmm. this is a coming-of-age story that just happens to have some some death and destruction. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, once you get out of that first 15 minutes, any attempt to link the creatures in the film to literally anything larger than just being, like, kind of, like, venom look giant venom looking spider monster thingies uh it, they don't do that this film is not interested in thinking about the monsters that it establishes in this film in any critical way and frankly as a i found that incredibly frustrating yeah so i i think the problem is really it goes back to issues of of generic classification right mm -hmm. the fact that that we are so determined because we have our need for algorithms to put everything into a box, right? And so it's like, okay, well, who is our, our audience for A Quiet Place 2? Okay, well, we're gonna, it can't just be like people who are hoping to have like a, a Hallmark style rom-com rom because there's some death and destruction. So, okay, well, I guess it's our horror fans, right? And our thriller fans. But the truth mm -hmm. is that we could just be a little bit looser and say, you know what? You can have a coming of age film that happens to have some some aliens in it. You can have yeah. a, a family drama or a family a sort of slice of life that just happens to have that slice of life be about alien life forms. I think if we could just get more comfortable with what honestly, like um, South America has gotten very comfortable with with their concept of magic realism, right? If mm -hmm. you get more comfortable with not needing to label everything, I think you probably would have had a lot less problems with this film um, because you might still not have liked it, right? But, but you would have had less problems with it because you wouldn't have been looking for something that I don't think this film was ever promising to be. I mean, I think I, I see... I think that my problem with it is not necessarily that I was not able to dive into the magic realism and like I I love magic realism. Yeah, uh, and it's not I quite magic realism, right? I, like the host is great uh, at doing that kind of like mix uh, mixing genres, like you like you said, that's a uh, South Korean film. Uh, I think the problem with this is that it uses the trappings of the horror genre in an incredibly shallow way in merely surface level manner. This movie has every horror trope that I hate. It is only jump scares uh, for basically the entire film. Uh, and uh, you know you know my opinion of, uh, of jump scares. Yes, and uh, you know my opinion of them. So that's I know you love them. I know you love them. I didn't hate them. them so much, yeah. <laughs> I... Yeah, so it's interesting because I, I was reading something about... Um, Krasinski and mm -hmm. his cinematographer, he had a different cinematographer for this film. I can't remember her last name because you know that I don't understand names. Um, but it was a female cinematographer. Her first name is Polly. Um, and actually, the article was talking about uh, the fact that, that their source of inspiration, at least in terms of visuals, was actually Westerns. Mm. Um, and, and specifically... Um, these modern day Westerns of uh, True Grit, the newest one, There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, and kind of having this this like real intense, the close-ups um, and the sort of like beautiful landscape scenes. And, and so I guess for me, and, and this is surprising because you know I don't like it when films appropriate uh, the, the cheaper elements of a genre, but for me, I really just felt like he just grabbed what, whatever felt appropriate because I don't feel like he was trying to put this into a genre. Um, it just happened to have some 
some jump scares happened to have some Western, right? I mean, it, mm -hmm. the man wearing the bandana, right? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like he was just kind of pulling from multiple genres. Um, maybe he didn't do so effectively for you, but I guess because I didn't see this as a horror film at all, I didn't even think about horror tropes or elements after a certain point because I realized that if I did, I was going to be disappointed, right? Because it's not. It's not yeah. a horror film. I think that makes total sense. However, I think I had a slightly different reading of the kind of grab bag approach to filmmaking that Krasinski em clearly employs here. It is clear that he is just picking elements that he has seen done in other films and he is like oh i'll i'll do that it just felt very like mechanical in a mm. sense that i was like this whole thing comes off as incredibly insincere it's mm. it doesn't come off as at least uh, when i was watching i was like these elements you've just like kind of taken all these other elements from better films that i enjoy more than this one and you have crammed it into your narrative to make up for the fact that the story that you're telling in this film is incredibly weak and uninteresting. Mm -hmm. Because I found this new kind of the splitting up of it and the parallel storylines to be incredibly uninteresting and boring in a mm. way that I did not find the first film to be. I, I, it sounds like I don't even, I have no respect for Krasinski or his filmmaking. I liked the first film. I, I quite liked A Quiet Place Part 1. However, what I think the difference between A Quiet Place Part 1 and A Quiet Place Part 2 for me was, I think that you use mixing some other genre elements and things from other films in the first movie worked so well when it was a single uh, storyline that just had a lot of clear forward momentum and it didn't allow them to kind of get distracted very much. It was very fast, it was very clear, and the actions and the action set pieces that were employed in the first Quiet Place I thought were pretty interesting and well executed. However, when we got to this film and the splitting up of the storylines, I felt slowed the movie down a lot. And the set pieces were, it felt like they were, there were technically more of them, but they were not anything different from what we had seen in the first one. And so I was kind of checked out. So I will say, I think I like a good chunk of A Quiet Place one better, in part because I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I appreciate that sort of, uh, it's not, it's not a bottle episode, right? But but it is in some ways, right? Because it's very confined. Very it kind of is. It, I yeah, mean, it's in that. It's it mostly in that in one that space. single location mm -hmm. of the home. They yes. briefly go to the waterfall in the sure. first one, and they they go a little deeper into their woods. But you could just say the bottle yeah. is their entire little neck yeah. of the woods. So, and uh, and no pun intended, but it's it's a quieter film in terms of like the the gravity, right? Like you're kind, mm -hmm. kind of being weighed down. Um, and, and so by in a quiet place one, there's that, that sense of, of, of just weight right upon you. That is not yeah. the second one. Now, that's interesting that you didn't like um, the parallel storylines because I actually found, I actually really liked that part. So for those of you that, that haven't uh, picked up a, a film textbook in a while, that technique where he's going between the daughter's storyline, uh, the mother's storyline and the son's storyline is sometimes called cross cutting um, as an editing technique. Sometimes it's called parallel editing. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. The reason I mention this is because no textbook 
agrees on what the difference is between cross-cutting and <laughs> parallel editing. Some will say parallel editing is a kind of cross-cutting. Some will say cross-cutting has to happen temporally in the same time frame. Sometimes they say it's parallel editing, and we're talking like the standard textbooks cannot agree. But it is mm -hmm. either cross-cutting or parallel editing, depending on which term you want, right? Where it's that constant back and forth. Um, and it's when the effect, the intention is for us, the audience, to create a sensation that we are seeing we are comparing and contrasting these three mm -hmm. Brit storylines. Um, and I liked it because I thought it was well done. I, I don't know if the last time that I've seen a film, and it sounds like, Anthony, maybe you don't want to see a film that does this. Uh, I, I don't remember the last time I've seen such a lengthy section of a film do uh, the cross-cutting, because usually it's only done for a few minutes. Or mm -hmm. it's like, for example, in a heist film, right? It's only done during the heist. It's rarely done for the extended period of time that this film was, right? Because this film is really three separate stories that happen to have um, bookends together, right? Um, so I actually liked it. I thought it was better than than if they had just gone through each of the three stories together. But I, I see your point about the consequences or the potential consequences, right, of, of broadening our world. Yeah, it felt, this movie felt much more convoluted than the first film uh, because it introduces a lot a much bigger world and then doesn't really do anything with that which I found incredibly frustrating uh, as a viewer because if you're going to tease this larger weirder supposedly more disturbed world then you gotta do more with that than a single scene in which you the river people the river people in the which and the, and then they just immediately move on from that and there are no consequences of that scene. So okay. I Oh yeah, so go. Here, sounds like sounds like we yeah, agree maybe here. Here. Is, here is where I have a problem and here is where I definitively realize that this could not even be close to a horror film. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is a scene that I actually thought was uh like a, a sequence um that I was so excited for what I thought it was going to allude to that it didn't. So mm -hmm. there's a scene where the daughter's walking on the train tracks. Um, and we see a station and we see all of these women's shoes, right? Yeah. And we see a briefcase and a purse, but we see all of these women's shoes. And I got so excited because I was like, ooh, there is going to be a serial killer or some sort of like guy who's keeping women. Because um, the Emmett character, right, says not every person is worth saving. So I thought we were going to see the sort of depravity of, of humankind. That's what I thought see too. And, and again, the, all those shots of those shoes, I realize that they probably took them off because you can't run as fast as heels and also heels make loud noises. But like, that didn't make sense to me to have such a like, so many shoes, right? Um, if you weren't gonna do something with it. Um, and so I did, I kept waiting for <laughs> the other shoe to drop, sorry. That's funny, that's no. funny. No. You are doing, you're doing all the, the bad I know, I know, today. it's New, terrible. Normally it's me. I know, I hate it. <laughs> um, the, but but I kept waiting for, for the other shoe to drop in that if you're going to say most people aren't worth saving, then you have to show us that most people aren't worth saving and the river people were not mm -hmm. enough, right? Yeah, they so, were cer certainly not. Yeah, so I kept thinking, well, maybe when we get to the um, the people on the island, right? Um, mm -hmm. At first I was like, okay, well, maybe these people are creepers, right? Like maybe they saved themselves by not saving others. Um, and I apologize if you hear a sound in the background. It's my cat in her litter box. Um, but but uh, I, I kept expecting things so that actually when the um, 
Emmett hears that sound, right, and ends up being the boat. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was like, it's the women. They are there. It's trapped, right? And so, and I know that there were several other people I talked to that said that they felt like there was a, a third act sort of missing. They felt like there was something else that was supposed to happen. Yeah. The film actually ended weirdly early, which is not a complaint we usually have today with films. Um, and I think it's because we kept expecting if this line of like, it's so bad out there. Uh-huh. actualized but that's not krasinski's ultimate message right his ultimate message is that people are ultimately good if we just give them the tr- chance there may be a few weird outliers but they're weird outliers right they look weird they act weird they're all burned um and mm-hmm. and they'll get their comeuppance but at the end of the day 99 percent of people are going to be good people and they're going to want to help each other and that's a hard you know, and that makes sense if you look at like he had that show during the COVID era, right? Which was all the good things that are happening in the world. That was what Krasinski gave us um, during mm-hmm. COVID. So obviously, he's never going to be as as jaded or as as um, certain that we are the problem as I think you have to be for a horror film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that ultimately is where a lot of the problems, at least for me, viewing ideologically, mm-hmm. are is that John Krasinski never feel seems to be able to, at least really in this movie, develop on those ideas that he presents of like perhaps the world is bad. No, it immediately isn't. Yeah. Uh, maybe I won't say he. Uh, the Killian Murphy character was incredibly frustrating to me because they established something a character that I was had the potential to be very interested in. This character who clearly is like. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to save anyone. There's nothing worth saving. But then he immediately just undermines everything he says and just helps her immediately. Because and people some... are inherently good, right? That, I, I mean, I don't think I, be- I don't know if I 100% believe that. And I also don't know if even if John Krasinski does believe that, if that means that the most interesting way for his film's narrative to progress uh is to honor that fact. I think it would have been much more interesting if there had at least been some moment where it's like this character is going to honor that line, either that or take the line out. I that's a, that was I'm like this movie could have been much more focused if it wasn't trying to do nearly as much because that scene with the river people was ultimately incredibly underwhelming. When they get to the island, you that's the scene on the island was just so choppy chopped to bits and it felt like they didn't really even get to the core of what would be interesting about that interaction why did we skip over the meeting scene between these things that seems that would be the really interesting thing about this wouldn't it is these straight seeing and it could be done you could do an interesting way from either perspective shooting Mm -hmm. it from either the perspective of the islanders seeing these strange people come in mm-hmm. and that is an insane thing or you could do it from the people of uh who are coming into this island and seeing humanity and civilization for the first time instead and when i knew when i i was i got really i just kind of lost all hope for the movie when they just showed up to the island and then immediately cut to that long exposition monologue where the guy just kind of like is I'm going to now explain everything that happens instead of doing a scene here because mm-hmm. I don't understand a uh, show don't tell. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so I I appreciated the reminder that we are terrible creatures, right? When he was like, you know, we all could have made it to the island, but we couldn't handle, you know, taking turns. Um, but yeah, I think you're 
I think you're right that that some of the things that that were more interesting got sacrificed. Um, yeah. And to go back to the first 15 minutes, one of my favorite things is um, apocalypse stories in the in the moment, and that's almost always where they don't begin, right? Like Walking Dead, you know, Rick wakes up from a coma and then and it's already destroyed, but like. I find that so fascinating because I know without a shadow of a doubt that I don't have the ability to survive an apocalypse in the moment, right? Like I don't have, I just, I don't have that quick response. I don't do well in a crisis. Um, And so it was kind of interesting to see like, how would this family who has three small children make it all the way back to their farm um, and set up, you know, all of this thing, all of these things. Um, And same with the, like, it would have been more interesting to focus on on this, these islanders who I actually had a problem with because I understand that you have to keep living. I understand that they may not realize that there's anyone else left alive, although they, they think there is because they're playing the music. But mm-hmm. having a picnic, um, and that felt so inherently selfish. Instead of like celebrating life, it just felt like they were just being ir- just irresponsible or, or not even thinking about everyone else. And so rather than seeing it as this like beautiful, ah, good, it's so perfect, it felt like, you know what? How dare you be casually living your lives while while our characters have been like barely hanging on um and so there was just i think you're right that there were moments that that mm-hmm. we were more interested in seeing than krasinski was interested in showing us yeah because this whole movie really is at the core is kind of a love letter to john krasinski's character from the beginning which is and that is established from that opening 15 minutes mm-hmm. and you know honestly the movie kind of works when he's still alive and he's still in it. Um, but then as soon as he is gone, but he is still the main driver of mm-hmm. all of the action in the movie, mm-hmm. you just kind of can't help. I couldn't help but thinking, I was like, either I think you just needed to make this prequel with you in it like you clearly want to do and you because you clearly still want to be involved mm-hmm. in this, or you just need to follow a different family in yeah. this, like a different thing because going back to this, and have it is it just does not work and you split up things and the other storylines are just not as interesting they sideline emily blunt to the c plot yeah which is which is too bad because one of the things that i do want to praise in this film is the acting um you know i i thought emily blunt is always delightful um Mm -hmm. always very talented uh, the little boy, I thought, I mean, was the best little squealer in the world. Like, he sounded so in pain when, when his foot got trapped. Mm-hmm. The actress who plays the daughter does such a good job. Um, and and I would like to say, again, it's so nice to have a film that has so much sign. Um, and that does yeah. feel the need to, to, like, have... There were a few moments where the daughter would say it as she was signing. But for the most part, they would just sign it. And uh, I was talking with someone that said that they actually went to a theater yesterday... Um, and there was a huge number of deaf students in the, in the mm. audience. And it was just watching, he said that watching them watch the movie was better than watching the film. He also wasn't as, as keen on it like you. Um, but, but he said that that was the best part. So there were so many things that like, again, are, are worth celebrating in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you were sidelining Emily Blunt to the sea story. Um, and I guess just, to, this is another movie that is again like, since it is so clearly about the legacy of John Krasinski's character and the impact, it's a it another entry into horror as grief or horror as trauma narrative. And but it only kind of is because really, it's a it coming of age narrative, that. right? Yeah. At the end of the day, this is not the story. The first film was about John Krasinski's character and Emily Blunt's character, um, and how they were going to keep their family alive and why mm-hmm. 
why they have another child in an apocalyptic situation. Never understand. It's yeah. A, um, it seems like a, the worst decision yeah, of all time. It really every does. Time, every time that baby would start crying, I was just like, I... You know, maybe, like, I was you like, could have prevented this. You could have avoided this. Yes. This is a problem entirely of yes. your own yes. uh, manufacturing. Enough, yes. Yeah. So, but, ridiculous. But <laughs> this film, right, yeah, it really was. But this film, like you said, it was about the legacy and it was about um, the daughter and the son, both of them, mm-hmm. growing up, right? Because mm-hmm. in the first film, they were still children. And in this film, it's their coming-of-age narrative. And so all of the adults, all of them, are B or C characters. Yeah. Which... Which is a, a strange decision for a film that is still kind of being marketed to the same audience as A Quiet as, Place. Yeah, you know, I kept thinking, I was like, oh, the reason that they're putting Emily Blunt's character in the C-plot is because they're going to kill her off. Because I was like, that would be, it wouldn't make this, it would not have saved the movie. However, it would have been interesting to see now and added to this coming of age narrative that the film clearly is doing if now you also you lose both of the support systems the parental units and it forces them to have to grow up in an art in a world that has already forced them to have to grow up so much i was like i guess that's why emily blunt is in the c-plot because they're gonna kill her off over here and do something with that but then they didn't and then they were but they were and they were just like emily blunt just gets way less screen time and doesn't really get to do anything interesting other than walk to a store and then do one kind of bad sequence yeah yeah it the, again, um, I think that what we were interested in seeing was not what, what Krasinski was interested in showing us. No. Now, there is some some good-ish news for me and some bad-ish news for you coming up, right? Because <sighs> this is not the end because it's never, ever the end of no, the franchise. No. Uh, Capitalism will not let anything die. Um, so, uh, already announced there are at least two ideas in the work for future films uh, in this franchise. In November of 2020, Paramount hired Jeff Nichols to write and direct a spinoff based on an idea that uh, John Krasinski had, and he's going to come back as a producer. And uh, in May of 2021, Emily Blunt has revealed that John Krasinski has an idea for a potential third film. So you heard that right, listeners and viewers. Uh, That is at least two more Quiet Places uh, coming out, at least in the works right now. And this this model's a very familiar pattern, actually, in young adult post-apocalyptic narratives like the Maze Runner, um, Hunger Games, uh, the Divergent series, and that is that the first one is this really nicely contained story that has mm-hmm. really tight focus. We're almost always a bottle, right? We are in a maze, we are in the Hunger Games, and yeah. they're like, okay, well, they survived, so let's go a little big. Let's open What's the world happen? up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, so now they've escaped, and now we're going to see the immediate world. And then inevitably they're like, but wait, there's more. This goes global or this goes national, right? And 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 that's it, yeah, it's a conspiracy. Very, it goes yeah, all the way up to the top. Exactly, and that's a very frustrating to me pattern because it's also an indicative of somebody had a really great idea for a first book and then they were like, oh shoot, this is popular. Okay, yeah. well, I guess I could make this into a second, and I have a feeling that that Quiet Place Three is going to do a similar the, pattern, right? The original writers did, uh, who helped with John Krasinski uh, on with the first make the first one and wrote on the first one declined to come back for the second one mm-hmm. because they said they had no interest 
in uh, like needlessly expanding this yeah. into a cinematic universe and that they wanted to rather focus on bringing more original ideas into the ecosystem. Uh, and you know what? I think they were right. I, I, I think that those writers made the right decision because uh, ultimately <sighs> I, I think that yeah. there was no need to come back I'm to okay this, to this world. I'm okay uh, with the second one. I'm okay with, with seeing this growing up narrative of like what happens when you have to grow up. I, I don't think I need a third one um, because it's either going to be about a whole new family, in which case I don't think I'm particularly interested, or it's going to be about this family, but like on the, the national level, right? Or they're like making their way to this new destination or, or whatever. And it's going to be something that I don't think, I don't think I, I necessarily need to see. So I agree with you to some degree that I think the 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 story, the intimacy of the story um, is going to be a, a sharp contrast with with what's going to be the inevitable. Third film, right? Um, yeah. So. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, yeah, we want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, please. So let us know uh, either in the comments of this video or if you're listening to the podcast version of this episode, feel free to uh, engage with all of our social medias. We're very active on there. So just send us a tweet or let us know on our Instagram video, yeah. what on our Instagram post, what you thought of A Quiet Place uh, Part 2. Yeah, we will Which not be one making Instagram right? videos. So, yeah, no. let us know. Uh, let us know if you are more on uh, Troyer's side or if you're more Team Tresca in terms of your reaction to A Quiet Place Part 2. There are no right or wrong answers it's when true. it comes to art. Art is entirely subjective. So feel free to ha have incredibly strong reactions to this film down in the comments below as long as you're doing it respectfully that's right absolutely um and in the meantime we hope that you have a safe anthony a spooktacular day